This podcast is brought to you by the seven-figure pygmy goby. With the shortest lifespan of any known vertebrate, these fish are the epitome of life is too short. As a result, these fish can be found bungee jumping, skydiving, and doing a whole host of dangerous activities. Wouldn't you if your life was only 59 days long? Here's to you, seven-figure pygmy goby. May you make every second count. Hello, my fishy friends, and welcome to another episode of Getting Fishy With It, the podcast. I'm Josh. I'm Amber. I'm Christine. And today we're going to talk about invasive species. But before we do that, of course, we need to check in with everyone and see how their week was. Amber? Yeah, so I was just talking about this with Christine and Josh, but... I went to Fan Expo last weekend, which is basically like Comic-Con for those of you that don't know. And so I got to get an autograph from Sam Raimi, who is the director for Evil Dead and most notably Spider-Man. With Toby Wait, which Spider-Man? Oh, with Toby yeah. McGuire? <laughs> yeah, Boo. the OG Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm did sorry. Did he do one of the like Doctor Strange movies too? Oh yeah, he did the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are you a Toby McGuire fan? No yes, shade, I Toby McGuire. Are you really? Okay, yeah. cool. I like, will hold withhold my thoughts. <laughs> oh brother, this guy stinks! Oh no. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. We're going to have to have a discussion on who's the best Spider-Man. <laughs> I have never even seen the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. So. What? You're not okay, missing much. I'm done I with mean, this. <laughs> Well, what can I say? It's been great knowing you, SpongeBob. Good luck somewhere else. I, I, did, I haven't seen the I'm Andrew sorry. Garfield ones either. I've only seen the Tom Holland Spider-Mans. So. Oh, no. Spider-Mans. You've seen the worst ones. Sorry. Oh really? wow! Oh no! <laughs> All right, we know what po- we know what movie we're not coming on for the podcast. <laughs> this is Spider Man. <laughs> I'm just joking. But, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. We got some goodies while we were there. Also got to attend a bunch of panels. One specifically with Smeagol. What's turtles, Brussels? What's turtles? Huh? Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Or mm. Gollum from Lord of the Rings. So That's that, that guy's name, like cool. Robert something? Andy Circus. Yeah. Just kidding. Andy Circus. <laughs> I actually forgot a little bit too. And then I was like, Gollum. Um, but yeah, we got to um, <laughs> listen to Andy Circus. So that was a really cool talk. But yeah, I always enjoyed going to these conventions just because everyone's like nerding out. I wish they kind of had one for fish, though. If anyone, mm. if there's like a Comic-Con, but for fish, let us know. Uh, if you've ever been to like a fish convention, like they've had a couple of them here, like Reefstock, they call it Reefstock. That's a pretty nerdy fish convention, I would say. I went with a friend who's not a fish person and they Uh-oh. just kind of left me behind because I just kept talking to all the vendors about like <laughs> plumbing and like <laughs> live cultures. <laughs> so <laughs> it is kind of an approximation, but it's a lot more of just straight up selling stuff there are talks sometimes though like panels and whatever so yeah well someday when we're famous we will you'll make the first real fish convention yeah I, we gotta figure out what the con. name is the begin fishy con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah, hilarious we'll have, to, we'll have to put together a pun name for it there you go um yeah. cool christine what about you 
we're members at the Natural History Museum here, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And we just became members this year. And for mm. the first time since we became members, they did an open house, like a evening open house. So last week we went there to go check it out. Are you guys familiar with the term rope dropping? Do you know what no. that is? Okay. It's like, <laughs> I think Disney people know what that is. I'm not an adult Disney. Is that when you drop a famous rope name? <laughs> no. It's like they have ropes up at the entrance to Disney, like before yeah. it opens and people stand there and like run to rise of the resistance or whatever. So they go whatever ride they want to go to the moment that the park opens. Oh. Um, yeah, it's like an adult fans of Disney thing. I am not one of those. Like, I've been to Disney as an adult <laughs> by myself with yeah. no children, but I'm not like, anyway, no shade to <laughs> folks who are adult fans of Disney. It's fine. Uh, do, do whatever you want with your money. It's fine. <laughs> but we kind of like, we knew what we wanted to see at this open house and we knew it was going to be kind of busy. So like Mark and I made a plan to be like, okay, we want to get to this spot first. So like, as soon as the doors open, we just run straight upstairs. Everyone else will be on the ground floor looking at stuff. So let's go straight up to the paleo lab and go look at that before anyone else gets there. And uh, it was a really good idea. Cause basically you, we went up and saw like folks, a lot of people are volunteers, I guess, in the lab that does like the paleontology stuff. And so they're like, digging out the bones and whatever from those big jackets of rock. And we're just watching them do stuff. And they were talking about like what species they were digging up and all that kind of stuff, which was fun. And then we went down into the bowels of the museum to go look at all the little pinned bugs and all the animal specimens. So they had a bunch mm. of volunteers there showing off the various animals. And I think the best thing that happened was there was a child that was looking at this big tray of birds, specifically mm. tanagers. It was a group of tanager birds. And the kid looks at the the lady mm. who's volunteering and he's like, oh, are these birds dead? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yes, I normally can't get them to lay like this all in a line. <laughs> they won't. No, they're alive. They're just like every day. They're well trained. This is what we do. They're sleeping. They're sleeping. It's after their bedtime. But yeah, that was pretty funny. My husband and I just kind of looked at each other and like trying not to laugh. But uh, no, it was it was really cool. I had I didn't realize that like this building had like a giant bunker underground with all of the collections that are offset, like oh. um, not on display. Mm. And it's just this like big facility that's pretty cool. So it was cool. We have something like that back home at the the like the big nature museum in the capital of Canada, but. Uh, it was cool to see it here. So that was fun. That's pretty much it for me, though. How about you, Josh? So this, this weekend, I don't know if you guys know or not. I think I talked about this before, but I'm pretty big into fantasy football. And um, my one of my leagues, all the guys decided let, we need to do a weekend in Tampa where we do our fantasy football draft. And you do your draft like once a year. So it's like the most important part of your your like fantasy year like it's like the draft is really important but normally you just do it remotely on the computer and these guys were all like we got to do it in person <laughs> so we all flew to tampa 10 out of the 12 of us flew there which is pretty impressive because like most of them have kids and and wives and whatever else but everyone managed to or almost everyone managed to make it and it was a pretty fun time although it was so hot there it was like yeah. in the 90s every single day it did not get cooler at night like I 100% understand why the corals are like dying in Florida. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got into the water and I was like, what on yeah, earth? It was uh -huh. like getting into the bath. It is 91,000 damn degrees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was insane. It was not refreshing <laughs> at all. <laughs> 
and um yeah and we we did go fishing there actually so we caught so it was the fishing trip was was awesome um so we went we chartered a boat uh, which is easy to do with 10 people and uh, we were out for like four hours and we just like we got to like the fishing site and he's just like yeah the fish are all at the bottom and we were like okay and he just like gave us all squid and of course because my fantasy football friends are very competitive they're like guys we got to make bets who so they have we have like bets for who catches the first fish who catches the most fish who catches the most unique fish like all these stupid rules and bets so like of course like we can't just have a fun carefree fishing trip it has to be a contest but sure enough we managed to all drop our lines in at the same time and it was just like catching fish in like a bucket like they were just biting they would wow. bite like right when your line hit the bottom they would bite so we had pulled up like a ton of grunts that was the main fish we pulled up uh we threw most of them back but we did keep some and made them into fish tacos <laughs> uh and we also caught some spanish mackerel and a mahi mahi which is like the wow. kind of was kind of cool i pulled up a giant trigger fish that was probably like i would say close to a foot long <laughs> i've never like held such big of a trigger fish before like i've never been that close to it and that thing fought so hard it was insane like how strong it's so strong and right the fins on a trigger fish are different yeah. Like for, for like people listening, I guess like a trigger fish has a, like the dorsal and the ventral fins are the ones that do most of the like power movement on the fish. Like the way they move is kind of, it's just different the way they, they locomote or whatever. <laughs> and so it's really cool. But yeah, that thing was just like, just able to fight. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it was a cool trip. It was way too hot there. Like you just go outside and become instantly sweaty and the humidity was like, felt like hundred percent all the time, but it was a good trip nonetheless. <laughs> cool. So did you take the fish to like a restaurant or something to, or do you guys just clean them yourself? Yeah. So this was like, a, it was great. Like we were right on this like little like wharf thing on, uh, on the bags. We were in Tampa, if I didn't say that. And we were at the Gulf. So as soon as we got back, the fishermen guys that, who chartered, like the chartered boat guys, just like filleted all the fish for us and like brought them to like this restaurant that was like right on the dock. And then they just like cooked everything up. So they like blackened oh, some awesome. of them. They made like fish tacos. It was like so fresh because it was like just came out of the water. Um, so it tasted delicious, but it was like so much. It was so much food. It was it was great. So <laughs> we had a really cool. good time. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Mm hmm. All righty. So, uh, like I said, we're going to get into talking about invasive species. So we'll get into it now. All right. So what do you guys know about, uh, invasive species, uh, kind of off the top of your head? Well, either of you <laughs> don't everyone rush. <laughs> don't everyone. <laughs> rush. Just... <laughs> so uh, I think my understanding is that like, generally it's like an anthropogenic thing. Like people introduce animals into a place, whether it's on purpose or not, um, and then everyone kind of deals with the fallout of that. That's kind of my understanding of what an invasive species is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, I think that's about right. I mean, I, I felt like we could nickname this episode, like why humans ruin everything <laughs> because like literally they do like, I'm sure that before humans existed, like, I mean, we know that the populations changed and ebbed and flowed over time, but like, we definitely help everything along. Right. And like, we'll talk about this more, but like, more often than not, it's like usually a situation where some person like released the species in a place where it was not native to, but it's like has no natural predators or whatever. So like in this case, an invasive species is has an advantage over other species because like, for instance, they can outpeat local species or they just straight up eat them. Right. So they're just like, oh, delicious, like a food source. And a lot of times they have no natural predators. So that's another reason why they do so well, right? Like with some of these larger fish. 
Uh, we talked about the Asian carp before. I don't think that they do have any natural predators. They're huge. So yeah, we'll get into that uh, more as well. And then I, I did put in the show notes, like, why should we care about this? Right. Because like, why does it matter? Like, so what? There's invasive species all over the place. It happens. We deal with it. Like, why does it matter? And one of the one of the things that I sort of, you know, wanted to highlight is, are you guys aware that Hawaii has no native snake populations? Did you know that? Yeah. No, I did not. Yeah. Okay. Amber did. Christine's <laughs> like, yeah, I know everything. So yeah. <laughs> screw you. <laughs> I like how you pretend to like, should I pretend like I don't know? I can see it in your face. There is an invasive, I mean, we're not going to really talk about reptiles, but there's an invasive snake called the brown snake, which is like just eats everything and hawaii like you're you cannot legally own a snake on an island which is like crazy mm. you can't have a pet snake you can't bring them over because there's all these native bird species there and they don't have any defenses against snakes they don't have a good way to get away from them or they don't know they might not even recognize i mean i think that like a lot of animals like in north america like if a snake is like slithering on the ground like even squirrels or chipmunks will go crazy like you'll see them react yeah um same with like a hawk you know but i believe I would guess that if these birds saw a snake, they would be like, they wouldn't even maybe be scared of it. I don't know. Yeah. Like it'd be interesting to see, like if you did a test. <laughs> maybe they're not adapted to combat something like that. Mm -hmm. Because if you study, I know we talked a little bit about it in a previous episode, like ecology and evolution and mm. kind of like how that works. And yeah, some of the species just don't have the defenses. Uh, to combat like these situations where they come into contact with a predator they haven't seen before. And so that would make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in non-aquatic species, there's, there's sometimes a more obvious direct effect on humans. Like I know rats are carriers for like, I mean, they're not, they're not really, we don't really have concerns about the black plague anymore, but rats are character carriers for all sorts of disease. I don't know. Maybe there's a resurgence of black plague. I feel like nowadays there's resurgences of like diseases yeah. that we, we just <laughs> never expected. You know what I mean? Like polio, people aren't getting their yeah. vaccines. Unbelievable. Uh, I think there's things like hantavirus with some like mouse populations and stuff too right so but yeah mm. there's a number of like we call those zoonoses so like things that jump from the animal population to people and definitely invasive species can be a big reservoir of that kind of thing sure um and how much do you guys know about like like can you give an example of like what happens in like in an ecosystem or something like that well, like because i didn't really talk about that but how that can affect how an invasive species could affect an ecosystem yeah and so i know we went a lot over this in my ecology and evolution course but mm. i think one example when you were talking about the hawaii has no native snake populations i think it reminded me of this case of cats that were in Australia or New Zealand and Pretty they have much decimated. anywhere in the world like cats yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. cats are just ruining things oh yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. oh but yeah why? it's just completely decimated the entire population also in that to that effect like it just kind of trickles down and affects other populations as well so not just like other animal species but it also affect like the plant population as well and so it's mm -hmm. kind of crazy when you think about it that way, because it's such a systematic change. Like it might not just be like that one species that gets like affected. Yeah. And so like, you know, we can understand basic sort of like environmental effects of ecosystem. Let's for, for instance, if you just over pollute or overfish, you're like, well, you know, I understand why that's a problem, right? Like we kill everything in the lake or in the ocean or whatever. Like we can see that direct line, but like most people don't see it as that harmful to like, oh, we'll release their pet fish into the local lake. Like, I don't want to kill it or like, I don't want to like give it away to a pet store. Like, I want him to have like a good life so he could be free. And like, it seems harmless, but like, 
down the line, it could have real long lasting effects and clearly has, as, as we will demonstrate, um, a lot of times it destabilizes the ecosystem, right? So for, for instance, if you have like a village that's dependent on fish to live and those fish are eaten by an invasive species that's not potable. Can I say potable? No, edible. Edible, <laughs> yeah. Edible. Potables, potables <laughs> for drinking water and such. Potable is if you drink, if you yeah. drink your fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then that's a problem, right? Like you could imagine if you if you if they eat all the native fish species and all of a sudden you're, you know, you don't have any of that fish anymore for your village or whatever. Now I, I know that this day and age, not we're not everyone's dependent on local fishing, but it can have effects, uh, you know, depending on where you are uh, all yeah. over the world really. Yeah. So yeah. One thing I had heard actually on another fish podcast was talking about like the complication of things like indigenous communities and some of the more vulnerable yeah. people across the world that do rely on like subsistence fisheries, fish that maybe, you know, folks, white folks, colonizers, whomever, don't necessarily consider these animals of any value to them because they don't want to eat them. But people yeah. do rely on these fish for for their subsistence fisheries. But then people will bring in sport fish like trout and introduce mm. them in a population. And those fish will push out or eliminate the, the habitats for these important subsistence fish. And potentially these people don't have the tools to do to do a fishery that's different from what they're they've done for generations. Mm. Right. So that's a challenge as well. I just, I had heard that recently on another podcast. So I thought that was interesting. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I do think like, you know, and there, there are a lot of overarching themes here, but I do think like as populations change over time, like we have no choice but to adapt to some of that stuff, but it is hard and it could be difficult and it could destabilize like an economy, like a small economy or something like that. Right. So I think it's, it's not great. And I mean, like, for, for those of you who have not taken an ecology class, like it, we learn a lot about like, you know, sort of like the food chain and like apex predators and how, when you like muck that up or like if you hunt that top predator, all of a sudden it affects everything below. A lot of times yeah. like we learn about it with like different things that like, you know, like let's say that you're killing like birds, like, and those birds eat like locusts or like they eat, let's say those birds eat ticks, right? Like ticks that could be bringing illnesses to people or whatever. Like those, they're keeping the tick population down, but you're killing all these birds because they're annoying or whatever. And then like, you're going to have this huge rise of ticks, like causing more disease and stuff like that. And like, sometimes it just has this weird zigzag effect. So it's definitely an interesting thing to, to look at. And if you ever get a chance to like look at an ecology book or take an ecology class, I highly recommend it for those who don't uh, know that much about it. I think it's really interesting, but yeah, anyway, the, the, there are oftentimes a lot of effects that that invasive species have that we don't quite always understand how everything's going to pan out. Do we, do you guys have anything else to say on that topic before we move on? Happy I think to... the only thing I was going to add was we did talk about like human, like zoonotic disease and how these mm -hmm. animals can bring in disease. They can also just bring in disease to the other animals in that ecosystem. Right. Mm. So diseases, parasites, viruses, they can bring those things in and they are a reservoir for it they are not harmed by this organism or whatever or they just kind of have you know an immune system that can handle it but they'll yeah. bring it to animals that are naive to this pathogen or whatever and they will just completely obliterate them so it's like the smallpox like for humans right like yeah Europeans coming over to the Native Americans and, and giving them smallpox and Native Americans having like no ability yeah. to deal with that Sure. Right. Yeah. Same um, idea. And I think an example in like the, the animal world would be canine distemper. 
and like mm-hmm. a number of different species. So like dog distemper has done a real lot of damage in Africa to both like cat, big cats and like wild oh. dogs. Um, and it's actually happened know. here a little bit too, where canine distemper can make some of these animals really sick, even zoo animals, because there are vaccines that get used for distemper, hmm. but they're not like indicated for these species. They'll do, they'll use whatever they can get like veterinary wise, but it doesn't necessarily work super well, but you know, it just, the pet dogs are a reservoir for it because a lot of the times, or not a lot of the times, sometimes they don't get vaccinated, but they don't die as much or as awfully sometimes as like an animal that's naive to it. So can't think of off the top of my head, any aquatic examples. Can you guys think of anything in particular other than like the pet trade stuff where like all of our pet trade fish are, are like a melange of all the different parasites from all over the world that all live together now in harmony. Dude, that's like our betta fish facility. They're like, they just come in with like diseases from Thailand and like the yeah. bet- local bettas have never seen. And it's just yeah. like a problem. Yeah. It's rough. But no, I have, I, uh, no, I can't think of anything really that's, that's like specifically affects one. I don't know. Amber, are you? No, I can't think of any. I think it's more just like the decimation that takes place. Like when you introduce an aquatic species into an area where like the native species are living, I think of lamprey, which we'll again talk about, but just like killing off all the aquatic species in that area. And so oh, not necessarily man. like introducing like a disease to them. Yeah, they are the disease. You are yeah, the exactly. disease, lampreys. The disease. If there's any lampreys <laughs> listening, we don't want your we don't want your vote. We don't want your support. <laughs> okay, I think that's good enough for just kind of describing invasive species. I think we can probably move on to the animals. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, we'll move on to the fish. We're only going to do fish. Obviously, there's invasive species of like every freaking vein, right? So mammals, plants, all sorts of stuff. But we are gonna we are gonna go with fish and. For each fish, I'm basically going to talk about that. We're going to describe the animal a little bit. If I give you the scientific name, we'll talk about like the origin, how it's, uh, how the fish spread and like sort of where it's expanded to. And then I'll, ex- we'll explain the outcome of its invasiveness. Not all of them have like terrible outcomes, but you know, we'll get into each one. So, so number one on the list is walking catfish. And I have here that the species name is Clarius. Batrachis. So for some of these, because I'll start with the what's the non-scientific name? <laughs> can't think the of the common word. name. And Thank like, you. <laughs> pet trade folks that like are a little older call these guys just Clarius. And they Clarius. I knew a guy. Hello, that, Clarius. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a guy that like kept fish for a long time. And I don't know if he's still around or not, but like he would come to my office at my old job and rant about the fact that Clarius are banned everywhere. And he's like, I just want some Clarius. <laughs> I can't take away my... So I had it's, to in look... the, it's in the constitution. I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know what Clarius are. I don't even know he's talking about a fish, but I, that's how I found out about Clarius. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the walking catfish, I got a picture here. They are, they're scaleless catfish, so they have and they have long, uh, long pectoral fins. They each have a spine, as most catfish do. Actually, most of them do have a big old spine. So, be careful. Um, and that spine, I guess, assists them with sort of walking along the surface of like a 
the ground, right? They have a long whiskers, dugs or catfish, which I think they all do. And oftentimes they're black or gray. In uh, the hot, in the pet trade, I think they a lot of them were albino or like white or something. I think yeah, that's I what I was told that. by that. Guy. <laughs> that's what he told you as he <laughs> shook you by the shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they can be found in the aquarium hobby. One year to sexual maturity, which is not too long, depending on what you're, what fish you're talking about. And a thousand eggs per clutch. That's quite a few. I found this interesting. The parents protect their eggs for five days. I did not know catfish defended their eggs. Did you know that? No. That's crazy. Yeah. So that like, unfortunately, that means that they, like if if a fish protects their eggs, that means that the likelihood that they survive goes up by a lot, right? Because mm-hmm. they're like... Keeping them, keeping them alive. Uh, they eat insects, crustaceans, eggs, and fish larvae. And then when food runs out, they just walk to new bodies of water. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. And they're catfish. So I know you listed the things that they eat, but they're catfish. They'll eat anything that'll fit in their mouth. Oh yeah, garbage. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of those catfish are just oof. Like I don't know. So like we sold like channel cats and stuff like that oh, in the trade or like, you know, like the, what the frick are they called? They're like the, there were a couple different kinds of cats that we sold. The red tail cats or whatever. Well, red tails get huge, right? Yeah, they get yeah, like yeah. feet long, but there it was like Pictus cats. There was a few catfish yeah. and inevitably people would buy them because some of them are like kind of pretty mm-hmm. and then they would just eat every tropical fish they had and the yeah. fish would have like a gigantic belly with like every fish that I just ate. Like, or if they were small, they would just wait till they get big enough, then they would just eat your fish. So yeah. they're terrible. Don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't suggest most of them. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so they were imported into the aquarium trade in the 1960s when like there were no rules. <laughs> yeah, And apparently accidentally in the mid 60s and it says intentionally by farmer farmers in 67 and 68 because florida prohibited the import and possession of them so people freaked out and they just like dumped them all oh yeah (laughs) i think sometimes too people would dump them because they were getting so big that's true too right they like they ate all your fish they're big you're pissed off you're like screw this (laughs) screw this catfish kick them out right throw them out into the pond why not fry them that's what I was thinking. Why not fry them up? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'd feel bad because you're eating the souls of all your pet fish. <laughs> True that. Anyway, I thought that was a huge backfire. I just like, I know it's horrible, but it was also just kind of like funny to me that like that state outlawed the possession. And that like, of course they outlawed it because they were like, we don't want these in our waterways. And then people were like, oh my God, this is illegal. Let me dump them all into the waterways. Like, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, interestingly enough, they mostly just invaded the state of Florida. I think that has to do with the temperature. I don't think they can make their way that far north. The ecological significance of them overall was that there was a concern that it would devastate local fish populations. Um, however, this fish seems to stay pretty far south. I'm sure it did do damage to local fish populations, but they found that, first of all, it didn't go that far north. Um, because it's a, tro- a tro- it's a tropical species. And second of all, the largest issues uh, are just that the catfish invades commercial aquaculture facilities and they don't really eat the local populations. So they mostly just make their way into like fish farms and then eat eat the fish that we're trying to raise. I mean, it sucks, but it is kind of funny that that's how it turned so out. So by walking, right? <laughs> They're just walking. Yeah. <laughs> Flopping their way over there. Yeah. Like how me and Christine walked to White Castle. That's the same thing. 
in the oh. middle of the night. We're just like, let's walk to White Castle. That's what they're doing. Are walking catfish. Yeah, <laughs> we're walking catfish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts about the walking catfish before we move on? <laughs> I just wonder if they are available in the trade at all now. I was doing a quick like mm. Google search and I think I found like photos of them, but I don't know if these are like in like, cause they're from like Southeast Asia, I believe. Um, but I think that maybe the, the pictures that I'm seeing are from like aquaculture facilities that raise them for the pet trade, maybe out in the East. Mm. So, but I don't have, yeah, any- I think they're probably not, I, I don't know, but I imagine in the Northeast because they can't really survive like freezing temperatures that they probably, it's not a problem up, up here. So I think that would be my guess. Yeah. I think they've been seen elsewhere, but I don't think they have like breeding populations elsewhere in the U S. Okay. All right. We're moving on to invasive carps. So this is a huge like sort of subset of invasive species. I'm not going to be able to cover everything, um, but, but I'm going to do my best. So when I'm talking about invasive carp, I'm talking about four different species. So the common names are the big head carp, <clears throat> the black carp, the grass carp, and the silver carp. Um, there's also a common carp. So I guess there's five. So the common carp, I think, got here first. Um, so it's been in the U.S. for like 100 years. But the other ones, the big head, black, grass, and silver carp are kind of under this heading of Asian carp that came later. Um, and those ones are kind of, they're, they've made their way all over the place. I think mostly around like the Mississippi area. A lot of these fish, to give you kind of a description, they have large scales. They look most more or less like a goldfish uh, or like a large goldfish. Um, and they have two pairs of long barbels on the upper jaw. Um, the common one or the common carp gets to about 80 pounds and five feet in length. So it's not a small fish. <laughs> and then Asian carp, I wrote 30 to 40 pounds. Oh, okay. But it can get up to 110 pounds. So yeah, gigantic. <laughs> have you guys seen videos of them like jumping out and hitting people? Yeah. People mm-hmm. are like on their boats and they're just getting out and they're <laughs> yeah. smacked in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of great. It's worth watching on YouTube. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely yeah. go watch one of those. <laughs> I've also watched videos of like how they exclude them from like like bodies of water and stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, I think I'm going to mention that a little bit because sure. I think it's like how, how they exclude them from Lake Michigan. So yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. So one more thing about Asian carp is that they can consume or they like to consume 20% of their body weight per day, which is like freaking insane. I didn't write down what they eat. So... Anything, anything. They're they're herbivorous. They they're herbivorous. So <laughs> carps in general are herbivorous. So, and I mean, I think we can loop an, uh goldfish in here too, because goldfish are just carp. Mm-hmm. They're fancy. Okay, carp. I thought so. Yeah. Um, fancy carp. But they will tear up vegetation. Anything that's green, they will tear it out of the ground. They'll eat it. Like they destroy vegetation. Period. They love to eat it, and they just will not stop. Man, oh man. These guys. Yeah. So they, <laughs> I think I said, okay, so common carp was introduced into the Midwest as a game fish. Oh, it was actually in the 1800s. So longer than a yeah. hundred years. Mm-hmm. And they are found in all 48 States. <laughs> so there we go. Um, the big head, uh, all the other carps, all the Asian carps were imported in 1970. And as you said, so to control algal blooms in wastewater treatment plants and aquaculture ponds. <laughs> so they yeah, put them the in wastewater treatment yeah. and aquaculture ponds. <laughs> yep. Definitely. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah. And at some point in between there was uh, goldfish. So like some of these carp, though, are really, really common aquaculture species in other countries. Like mm-hmm. um, I think 
had a colleague that was from India and like some of his first aquaculture experience when he was learning as a student um, was with grass carp. And so they, they had like an aquaculture facility where they knew exactly how much like, you know, food to put in those tanks or in the big like Mm. ponds basically to get those guys to convert that food into grass carp meat so people could eat them. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Delicious. So they are really common. Well, I think they're really commonly eaten in the East. I think that's pretty common. I don't think uh, like, People in the West eat carp as much. Not now. I think maybe back in the day because they grow so easily. Mm-hmm. Unlike, say, like salmonids where people want to eat them and they're f- like fish eating fish or fish that eat like mm. pro- high protein diets. Um, it's really easy to grow carp and provide a lot of fish protein to folks fairly cheaply. Yeah, yeah so. I kind of like that, though, because yeah. like doing that like we we talk so much now about how like a lot of fish are just given like fish meal protein yep. right and it's like well this is great that we're farming fish but we're grinding up what caught fish or like other like it's crazy to me that that's the way we feed them so like to have a plant-ish based diet or something or like a mm-hmm. proteinaceous diet that's maybe not fish based it's kind yep. of nice sure to know that you can make fish out of that so it doesn't seem like you're just sort of like <laughs> wasting um, or using fish to feed fish that you're going to yeah. eat. So I think part of it is like there's a perception that the the taste of like the flesh is a way that people in the West don't want to eat because they mm. eat grass or whatever. You know, I think the average like Western person doesn't want to eat game either because they think it tastes quote unquote gamey. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I know exactly what that taste is. But it, people it, just say and I'm like, it's okay. a specific <laughs> taste and it's definitely not for everyone, but it's because we're so used to like not to get on a weird soapbox about animal farming, (laughs) but like, you know, we're so used to animals that are like finished on grain or finished on, you know, grass or something. So they taste like the flesh tastes a certain way. So, um, and I think it's the same with these guys where, you know, if they're mostly fed an inexpensive diet of just like algae, which kind of smells stinky and is kind of gross just in general, something not palatable to us. If you guys have Mm -hmm. ever eaten spirulina, it tastes a very specific way. (laughs) And to have a big fleshy fish that tastes like spirulina, stinky fish algae, maybe is not the most appetizing thing for for some folks. So, fair enough. I still, I think I take umbrage when people say that they don't like fish that taste fishy. I'm like, why? <laughs> That's what fish. You don't like the thing that tastes like. It's like I don't like meat that tastes meaty. It's like okay, cool. This doesn't right. make any sense. <laughs> I understand what they mean by that, like, but it's still. <laughs> yeah, but this is perfect then because I was reading that I think it has like a mild taste to it. Okay. And probably because it's like not consuming like other fish and whatnot that gives it maybe that fishy taste. And so, I mean, that would be a perfect way to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> they eat each or other. Cut down the population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. <laughs> I'm sure they eat each other. I, oh, yeah. I they'll eat anything. Oh. Okay, so the silver ones, I guess, are the ones that are known to jump the most. And they can, I said they can grow up to like 100 pounds or something along those lines. Uh, apparently, they're capable of jumping up to three meters into the air. Whoa. <laughs> so, oh my God. And it says numerous voters. Oh, uh, this is directly from the EPA, I guess. It says numerous boaters have been severely injured by collisions with the airborne fish. <laughs> Yeah. If you like, just look at YouTube and look for like carp jumping, you'll find crazy videos (laughs) of like people just, you know, in their little aluminum boat, just going along in a waterway and just the fish comes out and smacks them in the face. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Anyways, I was thinking about shorting that stock. <laughs> <laughs> it says reported injuries include cuts from fins, black eyes, broken bones, back injuries, and concussions. Broken wow. Bones? Wow. wow. Can you imagine you're having to explain that to the doctor? Like, yeah, I got a guy concussion from, I was out boating. <laughs> what yeah. did you do, fall on the boat? No, no. <laughs> no, just this ugly ass fish hit me. <laughs> yep. Because they are, let's be honest. Yeah, they, like, they, they are ugly. They're pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Both we got... are like the glamorous ones in this family, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, in the show notes, we have photos of everything. So uh, you guys can, you guys can see well we can see you can't see if you're listening so yeah, but you can google soon. all these things <laughs> yeah okay so ecological significance it took about 10 years for them to get into the mississippi river basin this is what i what i read online and the problem is, is i guess that they're direct competitors with native, native species probably for algae but also maybe for like you know anything that they're eating right they're just out competing um, and so they seem to have disrupted the ecosystem of many of the Midwest rivers, um, including the Mississippi. And so apparently, and so, uh, Christine alluded to this earlier, actually, you can just explain. So explain what's they're what they're doing with the Mississippi. Amber, this is your back door. This is your back door. <laughs> Are you aware of this? <laughs> I am not an electric bearer. So is it like an electric wire? Like a little bit, like they have, there's a segment of waterway that is like a fish, fish exclusion zone, basically. And like, okay. there's a really cool video about it that I, maybe I'll share on Ooh. our socials when the when this episode comes out. They basically electrify this region of water. And I can't remember the distance, but it's like enough that the fish couldn't jump across. Um, and so fish and electricity don't mix. And so they they it immobilizes them if it's not so high that it's going to immediately kill them. And so this basically, this area is electrified and it prevents any animal, any fish from going from one end of this waterway to the other. So they, mm -hmm. it's kind of the the physical barrier that's preventing fish. The water can still flow, um, but the fish themselves cannot get to this part of the waterways. At mm. least not yet. That's amazing. <laughs> uh <laughs> I, I have a feeling that eventually, unfortunately, they will yeah. they will find a way. They'll like well, walking catfish. <laughs> and Osprey will pick one up and then drop it. And Osprey yeah. will just grab one and be like, oops, and then it, it's on the other no. side. You're going to see one on the L. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's the name of your train, Amber, the L? Is that yeah, the Chicago train? The okay. <laughs> Every city is different. CTA, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Uh, but yeah, the Osprey would have to happen twice, though, probably. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Osprey in like Illinois? There's Osprey everywhere. They are a okay. cosmopolitan species. They live on every continent except for Antarctica. So, oh, oh wow. I learned something new. Thank yeah. you, Christine. <laughs> sure. <Same. laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, but yeah, the idea is that Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes in general are home to a lot of native species that are really wonderful, like the lake trout and whatever else. There's a bunch of giant fish there. They're doing their thing. They're wonderful, um, but you can only think of one. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Muscalunge. I feel like there's Northern Pike sure. in there. Anyway, um, we don't want these guys ruining it. So uh, they're trying to keep them out. An electric barrier seems to be doing the trick, uh, which is, it's crazy. It's a huge wide river, but we're keeping them at bay, which is awesome. Yeah. I think part of the other reason that like carps in general are bad is like, they do tear up the, the grasses and everything in the water, but they also like, because of that, they're tearing up stuff to like pull grass out so they can eat it. They, mm. um, they'll affect the turbidity of the water. 
because they're tossing all this like oh, yeah. sand and silt into the the water column and so that can impact uh, how other fish are able to kind of live their lives so and other organisms too well, enough about carp. I think we got a good sense <laughs> of how they're screwing up our environment, our rivers. They're an incredibly like adaptive group of animals and they, yeah. they, they're super successful, but they're too successful for us. So, dude, that's always what's going on. <laughs> All right. So the next species, we're going to go over to Africa for this one because we don't want to just be America centric, although a lot of these happen to be in the United States. I should mention also, this is like not an exhaustive list at all of the invasive fish species. There is a ton. So we're going to go through a bunch. We will probably do like an episode two about this at some point um, just to follow up with some other species that we find fun or write us if you have one that's your favorite. But yeah, we will we'll stick with these for now and we'll and we'll follow up at some other time. So the next one on the list is the Nile perch. The and the, the species name is Lates niloticus. I'm probably yeah, butchered that. We used to call them niloticus. I don't know. That's what we called Did that them. That guy tell you about it? That one that one no, guy is No, angry. this was something that like when I was in the pet uh like I'm still in the pet trade really, but like when I we used to go to the aquarium club, people would talk about the rift lakes because at the time like yeah. Af African cichlids were like all the rage. Hell yeah. And people will be like, oh, the Niloticus are eating all of the whatever. Oh, and yeah. I think we had a speaker come to talk about them or something. Mm. Yeah. So they, so the Niloticus or the Nile perch, they're indigenous to Ethiopia. So I'm not sure, maybe smaller lakes there. Um, there certainly aren't the rift lakes. And they are this blue gray scaled fish with black eyes and this like yellow ring around them. They can get humongous. So like six feet in length. 400 something pounds if you look up now perch like the one of the first ones that come up, comes up is like this guy who looks like a finance bro who went to africa and he caught one <laughs> yeah he could be like I'm an aquarium sure. club guy that like went be, yeah look at those birkenstocks though. yeah yeah anyway this fish is like way bigger than him. like i don't even know i feel like if you caught this on your pole you would just go for a swim like he would just pull you right in like yeah like that, like the trigger fish I caught was like a foot and that thing felt like it was like, I would felt like I with all, all my might had to pull in. So like, I don't know how you deal with something that's six times as large, but anyway, these guys eat everything. They suck. <laughs> and they were introduced to Lake Victoria. So one of the rift lakes in the 1950s, and it was actually intentional because they wanted to boost the fishing industry. I don't know who they is. So it could have been the government, but I guess the, the cichlids in Lake Victoria are like, you know, they, they're not huge. And so maybe it was just there, there was a shortage. Maybe there was overfishing going on or whatever. So I did not look deeply into why exactly. My understanding was they were introduced just for like sport fishers, tourists coming Oops. there in like the fifties, basically. Mm. Oh, okay. Got you. Well, that makes sense then. Good job, guys. <laughs> so the ecological significance of that was that it eradicated a bunch of native cichlid species by eating them, and they lost hundreds of native populations. So that's pretty sad. After they ate every every cichlid in there, uh, they eventually changed their diet to the shrimp and minnows that were local to the lake. And at least they're fun to sport fish. So that is true. I guess they were the target of sport fishing. I mean, that's dinner for days right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that... <laughs> Dinner for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many fish tacos you can make out of a six foot fish. Oh, yeah. I wrote this here. So native cichlids were dried as food, um, but Nile perch. Okay. So this is, so this is like a more of the ecological significance, right? So the native cichlids that the populations like probably villagers or whoever was there, 
uh, were eating, they could just be dried because they were kind of small and they weren't as fatty. But now perch are very fatty and they must be smoked in order to be preserved. So that led to deforestation due to the wood demand, um, which I thought was very interesting, right? Like the weird ecological impacts of releasing fish into a lake. You would not expect that that's going to affect like deforestation. And yet here we are. Yep. <clears throat> There's a documentary... I have to remember to look the name. There's a documentary called, I'll look up the name, but like, it's about the fact that like all of this is connected in like the regions where these fish have been introduced, including like weapons transports and stuff like mm. that. And like, basically like, like weapons and ammunition end up getting sent to like corrupt organizations, et cetera, in these areas. And those same like planes are used to like ship these fish out of the country. And so, like, there's a whole, like, weird... I gotta find the name. I think it's called... Let's see. It's called Darwin's Nightmare. I don't know if you told me that or I saw it when I was doing research, but that sounds familiar it's to me. It's a fairly... I was like, like the movie's less on? than 20 years old, I want to say. It came out in this, like, in the 2000s, so... Oh, it's older than me. I'm just kidding. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that. So what was it called again? I'm sorry. It's called Darwin's Nightmare. Darwin's Nightmare. Okay. Look it up. Check it out. It yeah. sounds, sounds uh, interesting for sure. Yeah. Because th <laughs> there is a market now to like, you know, process these fish and like ship them to Europe for food. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, you know, it's maybe not done in the most ecologically sustainable way. And it's kind of done with like, there's some connection to like organized crime, et cetera. All right. Well, any other thoughts on the uh, Nile perch and its invasiveness before we move on? I'm sorry, the Niloticus. I don't think so. I just know that like they're probably one of the better, not better. That's not the right word. One of the mm. better. I keep using that word. It's like a better known example of like something that was just straight up like the introduction has been just straight up bad for the people, yeah. the other animals, the ecosystem. Like, and it's it's been really bad for that region the the mm -hmm. rift lakes region of the world so the bummer so and that's a probably another example of like an introduced species where like they're not set up to catch those fish because it's like probably for the smaller stuff because you're like netting them or whatever using small casting and like these things are require like some serious like some serious reeling power right to pull in something like that so it mm -hmm. could be limit limiting on what you can catch um all right screw you now perch on to the next one <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one is the northern snakehead. Uh, so there are a few species of snakeheads actually in the U.S., um, but the northern snakehead I think is the most invasive. Interestingly enough, so um, they to describe them, they are so they're native to Russia, China, and Korea. So basically from Asia, and they're like long and snake-like, and they have very sharp teeth, and they grow to 33 inches and can get to 19 pounds is pretty it's, it's a hefty fish for sure i like I, I don't know how else to describe them they just look it literally looks like if you took a snake's head and then like shoved it on the end of a fish yeah right? that's like, a good description it kind of looks like a burmese python or something like yeah. if it just had fins <laughs> yeah. yeah it's ugly man it's an ugly looking <laughs> fish tell that up to all the like monster fish bros that uh, want to keep these guys <laughs> Yeah, for real. I mean, I know there are people who like to catch them as sport fish, but I know that they were they were exciting in the hobby because people liked them because they would just eat everything. And, you know, I just know that they were they were at least illegal to have in our state. 
when I was living in Connecticut. So it takes them two to three years to get to maturity. So that's a bit of a timeline there. I did not know this about them. They're obligate air breathers. So they're gulp air for oxygen. So I don't know if that means they have a labyrinth organ like betta fish or what's going on. But yeah, they have to gulp air. It's not unusual for like ancient fishes like these guys to like have some Mm. sort of need to interact with the air. Um, I think there's a few different species that are like that. I think Bashirs are like that too. Oh, Polypterus. We call them Polypterus in the trade. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you could imagine why that could be useful, right? That gives you a leg up. So like if the water is like super turbid and like it just like doesn't, it's very low oxygen, they can just gulp at the surface, right? So they could probably live basically anywhere. Uh, which is useful. Yeah. It's not a labyrinth organ, but it's another like adaptive organ, looks like. Okay. Uh, the four species of snakeheads in the U.S. are Chana argus, the northern snakehead, Chana micropeltes, the giant snakehead, Chana maruleus, the bullseye snakehead, and Chana maculate, the, the blotch snakehead. I, I, I blotched all those probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> So the giant, okay, so giant ones get to 1.5 meters. That's pretty big and 44 pounds, a little bit bigger. Those ones are found specifically in these states, Maine, Massachusetts, Tennessee, Rhode Island, Wisconsin, Maryland, but not confirmed to be invasive. All the caught ones that they found are likely just the released fish. So idiots release them because they get too big for their tank or they ate all their fish. And then the ones that we've caught in the wild have not, I guess, been reproducing. Right. Or not flourishing, I guess. I feel like every time one gets found in a waterway somewhere in North America, it ends up as a news story. Mm. Like when someone finds like an alligator in a lake in like Toronto. (laughs) And then I'm always like, why can't I find a free alligator? (laughs) (laughs) I want Are you going to keep it, Christine? I would. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not here. I would have if I had space for one. But no, like, you know, you hear people finding like other people's pet snakes or whatever that have gotten out. And I'm just like, I never find a free snake. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I knew someone who um, bought a reticulated python, which is known as the longest. It's the longest. I think it's the longest snake on record is reticulated. It's Mm -hmm. like 26 or something feet. Um, And he got he bought a baby. It's only a few feet long. And then he lost it (laughs) in his apartment. And then he moved. I was like, did you warn, did you warn the people coming in? He's like, nah. It's in the walls now. <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, it's like in Harry Potter. It's like the freaking, the serpent in Harry Potter, or the basilisk. Oh, yeah. It's just like in the walls. <laughs> okay. So the, so the Northern snakehead, the spread was first. So actually I was talking to a friend of mine who's from Maryland and he knew about this. So specifically this lake in Crofton, Maryland, uh, this was published in the LA times in 2002 that they discovered a Northern snakehead in a pond in Maryland. All right. They discovered two and they nicknamed them Frankenfish and they were dumped in Mar- in a Maryland pond by a resident who bought them from a live fish market to make soup. <laughs> Wow. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then about a hundred baby snakeheads were found later in the pond. So I guess he felt bad. He was like going to make soup. And then he was like, I can't do it. Or was, was it like, appetizing to... enough? <laughs> yeah, it was too gross. Or their, their <laughs> kid was like, you're not going to do this. I'm going to let them go. <laughs> anyway, so they freaked out and they were like, okay, I know what to do. We're going to poison the pond. This is like the state decided to do this. So they poison the pond with rotenone, which I guess that's a type of poison. You've never heard of rotenone? You've worked with fish? I know. I didn't uh, know. I rotenone didn't know. is like a very potent, like if you want to kill every fish in a waterway, rotenone. Is that their tagline? Yes. <laughs> you want to kill every fish in the waterway? This podcast rotenone. brought to you by rotenone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you want to kill everything? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they put it in those two ponds or, or in the, the couple of the ponds where they found them uh, and it killed everything, of course, but it was already too late. They already escaped and got to other ponds. So um, they established breeding populations in Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New York, um, and they outcompeted all the native wildlife there, or they just straight up ate them. It says adult snakeheads feed almost exclusively on other fish. Like 97% of their diet is other fish wow. <laughs> with the remainder of their diet composed of crustaceans, frogs, small reptiles, and sometimes small birds and mammals. Can you imagine? Yeah. Whatever. Like they will eat ducklings on the surface of the water, oh, just like some like muskies so... and stuff will. Whatever they can fit in their mouth, they're going to eat. But I mean, fish, that's what fish do, right? They'll generally eat mm -hmm. whatever they can fit in their mouths. So that is a bummer. I do feel bad because like ducklings are so cute. And their mom would just be running with all her little babies on the water. And then a fish will just be like, yeah, I'm going to eat one. And it's just, there's nothing you can do. Like, it's crazy. It's sad. Fish got to eat. Yep. Yeah. Ducks got to quack. Yep. Anyway, screw you, Northern Snakehead. I hate you. <laughs> I love that. Wait, does anyone else have anything to say about them before we move on? <laughs> I don't to think lionfish? so. I think lionfish <laughs> might be our last one, though. Yeah, probably. Um, all right, lionfish, the freaking scourge of the sea. Screw you. All right, we're going to talk about lionfish. So, lionfish are saltwater and they're native uh, to the Indo Pacific region uh, and the Red Sea. They are, I think most, most, I think most people know, I think the layperson would probably recognize a lionfish. Yeah, I think so. You know to stay away from them. Uh, so they're white with red, brown, zebra-like stripes. They have those long, expansive finish that kind of extends in all directions. They look like a, like a pond, like I don't know, like a like a feather duster. Basically, they can get to easily over a foot in length. Uh, and there's two species. There's actually like I think there's like the red one and something else. They have 18 venomous spines that run along the dorsal fin and pelvic and anal fins. So I didn't realize that there are just certain spots. Yeah, uh, because the pectoral fins don't have any venomous spines. I was like, oh, shit, I did not know that. <laughs> so I learned something new every day. And the thing I think I had seen was that like they're in the scorpion fish family. So it's pretty good when like when your name is scorpion fish, you're probably pretty venomous. Probably. Yeah. 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 That's you don't want to mess with them. No. So mature females release 50,000 eggs every three days. <laughs> wow. That's insane. insane. Like, I don't even understand how they make that many so fast. It's crazy. Yeah. I think they just must just eat a ton and then just make a ton of eggs. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that in the ecological significance. <laughs> so <laughs> they were first they were first sighted or spotted in 1985, I think. And then again in 1992. And by 2009, they were well established in the Caribbean Sea. That's kind of where they stuck around. So you could see it like in like on the coast of the United States and like all on those the Caribbean islands. Of course, it was the home aquarium trade uh, to blame. So they were probably released by someone who was upset because they ate all their fish in the tank or just felt bad for it or and didn't. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, or it stung them. <laughs> so they released it in the ocean. And so what happens is they just eat everything. They're indiscriminate eaters. So they'll just eat every fish. I actually looked up, there was like a photo I found online of a lionfish that they killed. And they just like took out all the fish inside its gut. And there was like, it was like 15 or 20 little yeah. damsels and all these little <laughs> tropical, like all these little fish that it just like swallowed. So sad. <laughs> Okay, so this is like interesting, right? I think this is very interesting. They eat many herbivorous fish that clean algae from corals. So this is a really interesting ecological 
effect that they have, right? Because there's all these fish that eat the algae from corals, keep them clean. If algae grows on top of corals, it's pretty much game over because they do need to be able to photosynthesize. And so, yeah, and they also eat young commercial fish. So grouper, snapper, et cetera, that means that you're just going to have less fish in the general population, less fish for me to pull up on the boat when I'm fishing. Um, so yeah, it has a huge effect. So I'll stop talking if you guys want to add anything here. I was just wondering if you guys have ever seen them in like the Caribbean or anything like that. I don't know. Or I don't think the coast so. of Florida. No, no, I haven't. I haven't really. I don't remember seeing them. I'll say that much. Because I was in like the east, the southeast Caribbean in like 2012. And I don't think they had made it there yet when I was there. I don't think they had seen them on the regular there yet, but they were like, they're coming. This was like Aruba and Curacao. They're like, we know they're going to be here, but I see pictures now from like the dive company that we like used um, where they post pictures all the time of lionfish. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, they, so pretty much every government and, you know, sort of organization that, uh, looks at the ecology or, and, and fish populations are, they encourage you to kill them um, because they're invasive and horrible. So like there's no downside. Uh, so they do encourage you to get rid of them. Yeah. So I think some people like spear fishermen like to kill them and stuff or get uh, spear them. But I can't imagine you could eat them. I don't really know. Oh yeah, people eat them. Yeah. Absolutely. They do? There's a festival. There's a lionfish festival. Yes. yes. Do you want to talk about that, Amber? <laughs> the Derby in Florida? Uh, yeah, what? I don't know like, <laughs> too much about it like specifics but i know i had a colleague of mine so she just moved from florida um where they do have those like festivals um where they just like basically hunt lionfish and then they cook them up and apparently they taste fantastic Whoa. and she's like i could just go to whole foods and get them yep. also yeah and she's like i kind of miss it because you know i go to whole foods here and they don't have that available <laughs> um, maybe in the future they will <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah she talked a lot about that yeah it's like there's a number of people in florida and in some parts of the caribbean now where they're trying to create like this secondary market and it's not they're mm. not they're not trying to they are profiting from it, but they're they're doing it for a good reason yeah. um, where they they are trying to educate the public on like, number one, here's why this happened, most likely, but also mm. like, here's how you can manage them and here's how you can help. And so, yeah, like Amber said, there are these derbies where they have contests and the divers go down and they have these special devices to like entrap the lionfish. So you mm. do, you use your spear and then you like have, it's like a canister and it basically holds all of the speared lionfish in it. And then you bring them oh up to God. the surface and <laughs> um, they have folks that train you or that can do it for you where they show you how to safely clean those fish and get them ready for food. Mm. So yeah. it's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys have seen the video though of the actual like spear fishing machine. And so oh, yeah. I don't think a person is required for that. Like you mentioned, like the like I think I follow a page on Instagram that's like the lionfish extermination group. And so they use like the capsule like things um to put the lionfish in. But this one, it's freaking brutal. Like it's just this machine that's like in the water and it spots like a lionfish and it gets close up to it like the camera just kind of pans in and all of a sudden it just smashes the lionfish into like the side of a rock and i'm yeah. just like that is horrible but like so <laughs> i don't know i find so oh much God. satisfaction from it i have yeah. to file i'm file i fought is lionfish extermination core is I think that what so, it's called yeah. mm -hmm. all right i found it i just this is very interesting to me so yeah, yeah. i'll just send you the video of the Jesus. lionfish hunting robot though 
great. Oh my God. Yeah. We're going to have to like share these on social so people can see them. But yeah, it's, oh it's super God. interesting how this has become like a bit of a, a project. And I mean, I don't know that they'll ever completely be able to eradicate these guys, but um, there's a lot of people trying to make an effort anyway. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like the rat problem in New York. It's like, there are people out here who are like, they have like, a whole like little like posse of people who bring their little dogs yeah and they, like, hunt i've rats. seen the video of that it's, it's so, so crazy it's, <laughs> it's very cute. i mean it's very violent yeah <laughs> it's very violent and pretty brutal but it's like and, and who knows if it makes it does not really make a dent a huge dent in the rat population but like i guess people are just like it's raises awareness and it's kind of interesting so it's fun for their um, dogs i'm sure yeah <laughs> there are a number of like speaking of other animals like there are a number of uh animals and i don't think that maybe the species that we're talking about are specifically involved but it's not unusual for like dogs or others like animals that have really good scent to be used to detect things mm. like even like eggs or even things like zebra mussels in aquatic environments mm. they'll use dogs to sniff for them on like boats or in like water from vessels that are going from body of water to body of water mm. so that's kind of cool too three lionfish we hate you i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i used to like them when i was in the hobby but i didn't know that back in the they're day they're pretty they common in they like are. you'll see them in like every aquarium right because like <laughs> yeah. i don't think they're super hard to keep in like a saltwater they're setup not. and then they just kind of sit there right yeah so they're just kind of beautiful they just kind of sit they there menacingly Ugh. Um, and I think a lot of the, the the ones that you see in aquariums now have come from collections in Florida. Yeah, so, fair enough. Um, off the coast. So I think we should probably, I would like to just do the last species because we're like a little over an hour now. I think we could probably fit this one in, right? I'm okay with think? that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Especially because Amber alluded to it. So I feel sure. like we got to touch, we got to hit the sea lamprey as the last, is it lamprey or lamprey? 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 I don't know. Did I say the same thing twice? Potato, potato. <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah, everyone loves <laughs> potatoes. So the sea lamprey is crazy. This is another one you got to Google if you don't know what this looks like. But I feel like a good amount of people do. It's insane looking, um, especially the mouth. So they're basically vampires of the sea or like vampires of the water. Uh, I think they're even called like vampire eels sometimes or something. Um, and they have this long eel-like body with a round sucker-like mouth with all these like sh sharp teeth in them. And I think the mouth looks like the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars. Do you remember that one? Where like yeah. Luke Skywalker, yeah, like they're going like, to throw people into the like toothy pit. <laughs> so look up Sarlacc pit if you want to know what that looks like. <laughs> I'm glad you got my reference. Christine's like, I, Star I, Trek or death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get it. I'm just not going to comment. I'll just sit here. <laughs> I'm right. It's true. <laughs> Apparently they could reach 47 inches. That's like, oh, what, four feet long? That's, That's freaking huge. That's terrifying. And that like big mouth, by the way, like they're actually a really primitive fish species. So they don't actually have jaws. They have yeah. those like tooth like things on that sucker, but mm. they, they don't have jaws like most vertebrates do. So they're Crazy. a pretty, they're real basic. Let's just say. Yeah. And each species has like different morphology when it comes to like those teeth, like coming out. It's very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Do you, so you know, you both know a lot about them then, huh? We used to have that. them at my old facility. We had them at my old facility. So yeah. And like That's today, crazy. that webinar we attended, a couple people said they had lampreys seasonally. So yeah, we have lampreys right now. 
(laughs) (laughs) So crazy. So uh, anyway, they're from Europe and North America, Mediterranean and the Black Sea. And they are considered invasive in the Great Lakes where they've made it. Uh, I don't know how they got there. I don't know if you've heard how they got there. I think... Actually, you know what? I do know how because I wrote it down here. So never mind. We'll get into that in a second. (laughs) Uh, They can tolerate temperatures as low as one degree Celsius. So basically almost freezing and depths as low as 4,000 meters. So pretty hard to die. Um, And I read that they were also native to the Connecticut River, which I did not understand. But I think I got that from like... They, so they, I got that from the invasive species. They center. come in from the ocean, right? So they're anadromous, right? They come in from the ocean up certain mm-hmm. waterways, but they n- never traditionally had been in the Great Lakes. They didn't make it that oh, far before. Yeah, they hadn't. Until we did a certain thing that I will talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> they go up. Yeah. So you said that they go up rivers of spawn. They can produce only a mere small, small hundred thousand eggs in a spawn. So just very few. <laughs> And then once they metamorphosize after they, so they, so they hatch upstream, you know, up in the river, they turn into little, I think they like, they like swim around in like the sediment and they eat like little plankton and stuff. But then when they metamorphosize, they're like ready to latch on to fish. So the way that they predate is basically they like sucker their gross toothy mouth onto a fish. That's probably usually bigger than them, but not necessarily. And then they produce this thing called lamprodin which is basically like some sort of saliva that yep. causes like anticoagulation. So, so you, I think a lot of people have heard of like vampire bats and how they like bite, they like bite their hosts. And then like, they like it just, the blood just keeps flowing because they have some sort of anticoagulant. So it's, I think it's the same thing, right? Yeah. I think they were studying that particular, like the production of that in lampreys at my old facility. I don't think it ever went anywhere, but they were looking for it for like drug, drug discovery or something. That makes sense, right? If you if you're if you're at if you're a clotting risk as a human, right? If you could maybe find a way to isolate that chemical and then use it in humans, I could see how it could be useful. So so sadly, most prey die from blood loss. I forget what the percentage is, but it's like most of them. So yeah. like they just yeah, they shred them up and then just continue to suck their blood until they just die. It's really sad. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot the number, but it was something very low, like maybe only one out of 10 fish or yeah, something like that. I think survive. that's about right. Yeah, it's very <laughs> oh, sad. It's just terrible. Can you imagine? This is what happens when you don't have hands. You can't just like rip it off of you. You just have to like, you know, I don't know. That's that is ter- that's freaky. I don't know. That freaks me out. <laughs> All right, so they were spread. Okay, so I'm I'm taking this right off the US Fish and Wildlife Service website. The invasion of the Upper Great Lakes commenced after the Welland Canal underwent a major renovation. Nothing so ever sh- came good from the Welland <laughs> Canal. That's a Canadian uh, thing. <laughs> really? Uh-oh. Uh, so they wanted the f- ships to be able to bypass Niagara Falls. You don't want to go down Niag- the water. Don't want to go down <laughs> Niagara Falls with your uh, cargo ship. <laughs> yeah, that might end up. You might lose a few things. <laughs> might be preferable um, than going through Welland. <laughs> it's a little Canadian shade. Sorry. Yeah, like the Canadians. Where are we at? Right. Uh, tweet at Christine at Nerd RVT. <laughs> if you're mad. Sorry, my Southern um, Ontario people. <laughs> uh, prior to that, Niagara Falls served as a natural barrier to the Atlantic Sea lampreys. Once sea lampreys gained access, they quickly spread and established in all of the lakes. 
Sea lampreys were first observed in Lake Erie during 1921, in Lake Michigan during 1936, Huron 1937, and Lake Superior during 1946. Yeah. So their success in the Great Lakes can be attributed to hundreds of stream miles of excellent spawning and larval habitat and the abundance of host fishes at the time of invasion and a lack of natural predators, because I guess nothing eats them in those in those areas. So that sucks. <laughs> Man. So the ecological significance was that they had a devastating effect on missions fishery. I'm sorry, on Michigan's fishery. Oh, there we go. Only one in seven fish survive a lamprey attack. Oh, okay. So still not great. It wasn't as bad as one in 10, but yeah. that still is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that could go up, right? <laughs> it could for sure. If there's like, if there's like way more lampreys than fish in there or whatever. Right. Yeah. It says in the 1940s, according to the Great Lakes Fisheries Commission, they were a key factor for ecosystem collapse. Ooh. So I don't really know what exactly that looked like. I was kind of trying to figure out what they meant by ecosystem collapse specifically. So I don't know if either of you know, but it just seemed like obviously it was pretty dev devastating to the ecosystem. Yeah, I just know they just kill off like a lot of the species that are living like in the Great Lakes or the or native species. And so I know they're actively trying to find a lampreyside, but they don't oh. seem to have a very good effect on getting rid of the lamprey. So I'm not quite sure where they're at with that, but that was kind of the last thing that I heard. So at your facility, the lampreys, these are Lake Michigan lampreys, right? I'm assuming they collect them or they have someone collect them. Yeah, what, they're sea lampreys. Are they looking for ways to get rid of them or are they using them for biomedical research? Do you know? Actually, for neither, I when I last looked at it, I think it was more doing research on what you had talked about before because they okay. lack a jaw. And so mm -hmm. it's more from an evolutionary perspective, okay. like which is like still bio. really interesting. Sure. But I was like, when we were talking about the co coagulation and all of that, I was like, why didn't, why can't we do that? That would be way more interesting or like developing Big a lamp side and yeah. help the city. But I, yeah. I think that it ended up like not being successful, at least at my institution, whatever they were mm. looking at was not, ended up being viable, but I, I don't mm. know exactly. It was kind of like the end, right when I was starting, that was ending. So boy, oh boy, it really helps to be adaptive to both fresh and salt water. I'll say that much. Yeah. Like, Boy. I think part of what we need to do is just like with the lionfish, we need to get people eating these things. I am not going to eat lamprey fish. Well, <laughs> so this is legit. I'm not even joking. I was telling you guys, I like British stuff. Uh, lamprey pie is a thing in the UK. And it was like something that the kings and the queens would eat like as part of their coronation meals. Lamprey pie. I'm not even joking. <laughs> no. Jell jellied eels are lampreys. So oh <laughs> they eat that in God. the UK. Yeah. Sounds terrible. As like a rite of passage. No, you don't it's eat just, this, you're not a man. It's delicious. They like <laughs> don't it. Don't make me eat it. For British okay. people, they think it's delicious. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we maybe we need to get that as a dish in Chicago now. Deep yeah, dish right. sea lamprey. Deep dish Deep with dish sea lamprey. Pizza. Yeah. I'm actually looking into Surprise. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on uh Shark Tank. We could do a starter company. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, did any of you guys, so, I mean, this is kind of the wrap up, but I mean, did you learn something cool today? Anything that was really striking? <laughs> I didn't, I've kind of never realized how big Nile Perch got. Yeah. Unless that was a very small man in that photo. Yeah. He's four foot one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think there was just one thing I did want to add. Number one, like 
never ever ever release any animals that you have never ever so fish anything there are places that will take your fish back like pet stores will take your fish back if you don't want them reach out to your local aquarium clubs never ever release fish or plants from your aquariums Mm -hmm. it's very bad Um, but also if you're interested in knowing more about dealing with invasive not just fish, but invasive species in your region. If you search for your state or your province and invasive species, you'll often find um, various government agencies that are doing like various mitigation and you'll find info on like, you know, info you can share with the public or your community about not releasing invasive species, but also like different programs or surveillance system, uh, programs that they're doing and that you can volunteer with. So definitely mm. look it up. In Michigan, for example, they have Ripple, which is Reduce Invasive Pet and Plant Escapes. And they have a whole website mm. all about that. I also saw that, I think it was the University of Chicago is has a whole program with like an educational website for the public called Aquatic Invaders in the Marketplace. And it has lots mm. of info about like protecting waterways from, you know, pet species but also like people accidentally releasing like live fish from a marketplace like a food market so Mm. definitely do a little reading if you're interested in trying to figure out how to mitigate these kind of risks to our fisheries not just for our own economy and like the fisheries industries and aquaculture industries but also just for other native wildlife Mm -hmm. thanks christine yes this is a good psa the more you know for sure (laughs) (laughs) all right any thoughts amber before i wrap this thing up no i think christine said it beautifully just amazing you know reach out to your local organizations and if you want to learn more about invasive species and like the mitigations that the local areas are taking but i think overall we just gotta eat them yeah. You gotta eat them. <laughs> That's the main takeaway. The answer is them. not to release other animals that eat those animals. Because then you have to release another animal that eats that animal. And then that's yes. a whole thing. <laughs> exactly. As soon as we're just releasing humans. <laughs> yeah. Hungry, I hungry humans. my son. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing. Well, this was this was great. So I'm going to wrap up now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Getting Fishy with it. You can find our website with show notes at gettingfishypod.substack.com. You can find us on Twitter at gettingfishypod and on Instagram at gettingfishypod. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Getting Fishy with it. If you want to drop us an email, you can send your complaints or questions to gettingfishypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is Best Time by Fast Sounds, and our audio is edited by the incredible Amber Park Chiadini. I hope I didn't use that uh, word before. We've been getting fishy with it. So keep schooling, my friends, because knowledge is power.